G'day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt and this has been prepared for Sunday the 3rd of March 2024. Hear this sentence of scripture from Ezekiel 36. The Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. This is the promise of God for us through Jesus, and let's begin in a time of praise.
Well, as we turn to God's Word now, our Bible readings today begin with Numbers 19, verses 1 to 22, and then Psalm 30, verses 8 to 12, and finally the, the passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Mark that I'll be sharing with us from in just a moment is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through to 43. Mark 5, 21 through to 43. Pause the video now. Take a moment, have a read of those. They'll appear on the screen, and then we'll think about this together. Well, let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us patience, grace, and a heart of humility to hear what you're saying to us here in Mark, and eyes to see Jesus clearly, to see what true faith means, and why that is important for us. Amen. Well, sometimes I get the feeling that my wife doesn't have enough faith in my special power. Every husband has a special power. You just got to ask him. But if I, was to, uh, if I was to say one of mine, it would have to be uh, my, my power to give new life to something that should otherwise be dead. Uh, when our, uh, our head of our cordless Dyson snapped in half, uh, it should have been considered dead. It should have gone in the bin. My wife said, hey, we need to order a new one of these. Do you think I gave up that easy? No way. No, I got out my precision screwdrivers and some super glue and I gave that sucker new life. At college, our TV died. This went black one day. Dee said, hey, it's, it looks like it's dead. We're going to need to save up for a new one. Do you think I got out the Harvey Norman magazine? No way. No, I got out my screwdriver again. I took the back off, took out the main circuit board, put it in the oven for 10 minutes, re-liquefied re -re the solders, put it back in, and she had new life. Broken appliances. Ripped pop-up kids books or, or busted toys. It doesn't take, I mean, I don't let too much go to the bin uh, without having a crack at giving it new life. Now, sometimes I have the feeling that my wife doesn't have enough faith that I can give it. Or maybe it's actually the case that she, she knows I can, but would rather not have all our things covered in sticky tape, screws and super glue. It's one or the other. But I'm sure there are plenty of things in our lives that we wish we could give new life to. Perhaps for us it's a body that's broken, or for someone else a body that's broken or sick. And maybe we wish we could give new life to a relationship or a career. Perhaps we wish we could renew the way that other people see us, or maybe renew the way that we see ourselves. You see, it's easy to give new life to something like a broken toy or an appliance, but there are real big things, things that are far more personal, far more valuable and far more complex that we wish we could fix, that we wish we could at least breathe new life into. And so that is where Mark chapter 5 is an encouragement for us today. It's not though that Jesus promises to fix all these things for us right now. But if you were to take one thing away from today, uh, this is what I want you to grasp. That we have both the promise and the reality of new life when we come to Jesus in faith. Now, that's what we're working towards in Mark chapter 5 today, and 
There's a few things though that I want us to see along the way, a few points. Number one, no matter who you are or what your brokenness is, Jesus is for you. Number two, even an imperfect faith is an effective faith when it comes to Jesus. And number three, a faith in Jesus will not disappoint because Jesus offers us new life both now and in the future. Right, those are the points. That's where we're headed today. But we begin uh, in chapter 5, verse 21. This is where we pick it up. And here we find Jesus at the start. He's climbing out of a boat. He's just crossed a lake, Lake Galilee. Verse 21, a large crowd gathered around him. And you can picture the scene. There's plenty of people there, plenty of people who have heard what Jesus has done. Or maybe they've seen it for themselves and they want to come to him. Maybe they want to receive a bit of those benefits personally. And Mark now chooses to focus on one of these people at verse 22. Then, he tells us, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, as an Anglican minister, it's not uncommon that people I don't know call up the church here and say, hey, this close relative is dying. My mum, my dad is dying. Please come and be at the bedside. But no one has ever requested me to do what Jairus requests of Jesus here. Right? No one has any kind of conception that, that, I can, that I can heal. And they're right. But this is the kind of confidence that Jairus has in what Jesus can do. And it's worth, first of all, noting who Jairus actually is. He's an important Jewish member of the community. He's a leader in the synagogue. One of the kinds of people who, so far in Mark's gospel, have totally rejected Jesus, have ditched, who don't like what he's saying or teaching. And yet, despite who he is, where he's from, his position, right now, he comes to Jesus humbly as his only hope in the face of death. And perhaps, unsurprisingly for the people of the day, maybe, Jesus has compassion on this man of high position. And so he sets off to help him. But he doesn't get very far before we're introduced to someone else. Have a look at verse 24 to 27. We're told, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now this is a lady who is truly suffering. She's suffering physically because of her chronic illness, what's most likely a permanent menstrual bleed. And we're told also here about her financial troubles. She spent all that she had, but her suffering is more than those things. Right? Her issue also makes having children a hopeless fantasy and makes getting married next to impossible. Now, if that wasn't all bad enough, the suffering is also social and spiritual. You see, under Old Testament uh, laws, Menstrual bleeding is one of the many, many, many things that meant you were to be considered ceremonially unclean, at least for a short time. 
Now, it didn't actually make you unclean. Uh, the system of ceremonial uncleanness, it's sort of like playing a big game of, of tag with an object lesson where, you know, everyone is eventually it. Everyone is unclean at at least some point. And the point is, clean and unclean, they don't go together. And more importantly, the big object lesson is, a perfect and holy God is incompatible with people who have unclean hearts because of our sin. Now, I'll talk more about that in two weeks' time. But here's the particular rub for this lady. Being considered unclean in this way also meant that anything or anyone you touched was considered unclean as well, and so you weren't allowed to interact with others in society. Uh, And to top all that off, it meant you couldn't go to the temple until you were at least ceremonially considered clean again. And so the fact that this is a permanent state for this lady, she would have been considered an absolute scourge of society. There is no hope for a woman like this. And so Mark here, he sets up for us a stark contrast. At the time, you couldn't have found two people who were were further polar opposites in social standings. One is this Jewish leader, Jairus, who commands respect, and the other is this social outcast of a woman, cut off from people, cut off from society, cut off from God. One rich, the other poor. One with a family, one with none. One who is accepted, one who's outcast. And yet now, here they are, and both of them together have a desperate need of Jesus, a desperate need that's beyond natural help. Now, for many of us, you might say that's the kind of way that you came to know Jesus, out of a state of of brokenness like these two people. Maybe you came because of, like Jairus or like the sick woman, the places you usually turn in hardship, the places you usually turn for answers couldn't actually give you those in the face of the biggest problems that face you in life. Despair so often comes before finding the grace of Jesus. And perhaps how that, that's how you've landed watching here today. Now, as Jairus is trying to get Jesus to hurry up, to rush to his dying daughter, you can imagine the kind of things that will be going through his head at this point. As Jesus, he gets caught up in this little scene with the crowd and the woman. Jairus would be thinking, what are you doing? Get out of the way, you stupid, silly woman. Can't you see I'm more important than you are? Can't you see my need is greater than yours? Get out of the road. But that never stops. It never stops Jesus from pausing to show grace and mercy to someone who was considered an outcast by everyone else. Jesus doesn't get caught up in status by who we think we are. No, Jesus has compassion on the person in the high position as well as compassion on the person who, who others think don't deserve it or aren't worthy of it. And so here's the point. No matter your brokenness, No matter who you are, how broken you are, Jesus is for you. And like this lady, Jesus has words of comfort for you. That's the first thing. Now secondly, as we keep reading, we need to see that even an imperfect faith is effective when it comes to Jesus. Because this woman, she knew she didn't belong. She knew she had no right to touch Jesus. That's why she hid in the crowd, why she snuck up behind him, why why after touching him, she kind of hid away, trying to be anonymous. 
But verse 29, when she touches Jesus, we're told she knew something had changed. She knew her suffering was gone. But Jesus knew something had changed as well. How does he know? I don't know. Maybe you can ask him one day. But eventually, verse 33, this lady, she puts her hand up. Jesus is looking for her. Who was it? Who touched me? She comes. She kneels at Jesus' feet. She's full of fear. She she doesn't know what's going to happen to her. She doesn't know if she's going to receive a verbal blast from Jesus. How could you touch me? You're ceremonially unclean. Is that what Jesus says? No. No, instead, he speaks to her tenderly. Verse 34, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, in Mark's Gospel, uh, this story of, of faith, it's, it's sandwiched between two others that mention faith. Right at the end of chapter 4, uh, Jesus he's, he's critical of his disciples because they are lacking faith, even after he calms the storm with just a word. Then at the start of chapter 6, uh, Jesus is amazed at people's lack of faith, even people from his own hometown. Both of those, people who should know better, people who should find it easy to come to Jesus in faith. But they fail. And yet right in the middle of that, in the, or right in the middle of those, in contrast, is this woman who is commended for her faith. But what is faith? Well, faith is far more than simply intellectual belief. That's not enough. It's more than believing something is real. Now, the kind of faith Jesus is commending is an active thing like we see here in this woman. He's commending not faith itself like some kind of abstract thing, but the action of her faith. And it's clearly not a perfect faith. It's not one without fault. I mean, this woman, she's full of fear, full of worry. Yet she, even in that, reaches out to grab hold of Jesus. Now, I know that some people at this point want to talk about faith. The, faith. the faith itself, and as if it has the power to affect change. Like if I'm sincere enough about what I believe, then that sincerity can make it true or real. But let me be clear. That is not what Jesus is saying here. It's not about the size of your faith, but rather the object of it. That's not the woman's Faith is powerful, no, no. But the one who her faith is in is powerful. What's important is not the size of your faith, but the object of it. And it's the same with Jesus. What Jesus is commending here with this woman is her her small, imperfect faith, but one that is still exercised, one that still reaches out to him. And she was healed because she took action on her conviction about Jesus. Now though, we remember that she, this unclean woman isn't, isn't the only one who reached out to Jesus in faith. So did Jairus. We can't forget about him. He certainly hasn't forgot about the situation. He's got a daughter who's, who's in need, a daughter who's dying. And this is where you can really feel Jairus saying, come on, hurry up Jesus, my daughter, don't forget. She's there, she needs you. My faith is in you. And this is where his faith is really challenged. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came forward to the ha- from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
Now put yourself in Jairus' shoes. A bomb has just been dropped on his world. They didn't warm him up to it. Your daughter is dead. He'd come to Jesus in faith. There was a glimmer of hope. But now his world has just been, it's been shattered. He's been full of fear, full of desperation. He's come to Jesus depending on him. And yet now, it's all gone. And maybe you know what he's feeling right now. What would be going through Jairus' head though? Jesus, I was relying on you. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I told you how serious this was. But you were too late. You let me down. Now in this moment, does Jesus say, Oh, well, maybe next time? No. He replies, verse 36, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, Jairus has not already believed in the difficult that Jesus could bring his daughter back from, from the point of death by a touch. But now, now Jesus is calling him to believe in the impossible. That Jesus could do something even for his dead child. I wonder how you respond when there's obstacles that come up to your faith. Now Jairus had these people in his life calling out to him, these voices saying, hey, Jesus can't help you anymore. Don't worry with him. And at this point, I reckon we can identify with Jairus. I know that we each go through obstacles to our faith in life, things that make us question whether we can keep trusting Jesus. It might be like Jairus that we we get bad news. A bad medical report, perhaps. Things are not good. Something that would make us wonder, how could a loving God allow this? Or it might be that there's little voices in our head, those voices that say, why do I keep going with this? Why do I keep living to, not for myself, but for someone else, for Jesus? Why do I keep going along to church? Or it may be more overt than that. Maybe there are literal voices, other people who... Who want to call you a fool? People who say, Why are you still going on with this Jesus and God rubbish? What are the things that are challenging your faith right now? What are the voices? And what are you doing when those kind of challenges come up? How do you respond? Well, Jairus heard two very different things. Your daughter is dead, on the one hand. Now on the other, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus tells him, keep on believing. And it's the same for us as with Jairus. The question, are we going to listen to the words? Listen to what people are saying. Listen to those things that cause us doubt, those fears, those, those things that cause us to, to question our faith. Or are we going to listen to the words of Jesus? Friends, obstacles to our faith will always be there. But here's the encouragement. Keep listening to Jesus. Even when your faith might feel like the size of a mustard seed. Even when it feels imperfect. Keep listening to him. But why? Why would we do that? Well, here's the reason. Here's the final thing that we need to see from these encounters. That, that, this is it. 
The reason we don't let go of our faith is because faith in Jesus does not disappoint. In fact, these two encounters in them, Jesus shows us a snapshot of the blessings for those who are part of his kingdom. It's a picture of the new life that Jesus offers both now and in the future. As we keep reading, Jesus, he goes on to the house of this dead girl, Jairus' house. And as we'd expect, the scene is pretty bleak. Verse 38, there's crying, there's loud wailing everywhere. In verse 39, Jesus, Jesus went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Humans, we can do nothing in the face of death. For God, though, bringing someone out of death is no more difficult than awakening someone from sleep. And again, unsurprisingly, Jesus, he's met with a very real response. He's met with laughter at that. And so he tells those who, who are still unbelieving to go. They won't see this blessing that he's about to bring. And with a small group of people, he takes into the, the dead girl's room. He takes her by, by her dead hand. And in verse 41, says to her, Rise, get up. And she does. And it's not as though she's kind of barely there, barely with it. No, no. She stands up. She walks around. She's able to take something and eat. Who else can say that? Who else can do that? No one but God alone. So do you know who Jesus is? He is someone who has power even over death. And I want you to see how for this girl and for this lady we heard about a moment ago, that both of these stories are ones where there's new life given. Uh, the 12-year-old girl, she was literally dead and brought back to new life. And for the bleeding woman, she was basically, you might say, the living dead. Cut off from the temple, cut off from people, cut off from society, cut off from the world and everything around her. And yet Jesus cleanses her and says, verse 34 again, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be free from your suffering. She too is given new life in the community. New life, new value, new dignity before God. And both of these two things, they serve as pictures of what is true for the person who comes to Jesus in faith. The little, little girl's body, it was physically brought back out of death. And for those whose faith is in Jesus, his own later resurrection is a guarantee that the same will be true for us in his new creation. And Jesus promises that the curse of death will one day be reversed for us permanently. And on the other hand, the new life that's given to this, that formerly unclean woman is a picture of what we have now. Before God, we are given in Jesus a new identity, a new dignity. Jesus says to her, he calls her daughter. It's a kind of title with the, the type of status and warmth that, that would have been absent for her life for, for so many, many years. And John chapter 1 tells us, that if we come to Jesus in faith, then we have the right, you have the right to be called a child of God, to be called, to be called a son or a daughter of God.
And not only that, you have new life and a new identity within a community of believers, given a new family with brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, I said at the start that there are things about our lives, things we wish that we could fix, things that we wish we could give new life to. And these are, these are things that are genuine and, and complex and valuable to us. And Jesus never overlooks that fact. But neither does he see those things as our greatest need. Now, our greatest need is to trust in him. To trust in the Son of God, our Saviour, who breathes new life into us in a far more significant way. Remember how I said that, as for the bleeding woman, uh, that uh, being touched or, or for her touching anything would make it ceremonially unclean? Well, the same is true for a dead body. And yet Jesus willingly touches the dead girl as well. In both of these stories, we see that Jesus has the power to overcome the defilement of ceremonial uncleanness and actually reverse it. His touch has the opposite effect and making both the bleeding one and the dead girl clean and whole again. But something, something different happens at the cross. The cross that Jesus is on his way to. There, Jesus fully exposes himself to our uncleanness before God. He takes it all on himself to deal with it, to take it away, so that we can be declared clean, without blemish, free from guilt, free from sin, before God forever. When our faith is firmly in Jesus, even if it's an imperfect faith, the size of a mustard seed, this is Jesus' promise for us. Jesus took on our uncleanness, so that we could have true new life as we come to him in faith. Not because our faith is great, but because he, the one who died for us, is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God above all things, that you know us, you made us, you loved us, and you sent Jesus to deal with our uncleanness so that we could be made new before you so that we could have a new, a new lease on life, both now, but also the promise of resurrection life in eternity. Father, help us to look to Jesus, to see what he's done for us, and to cling on to him in faith, a faith, though it may be full of doubt and fear and faltering, a faith that never lets go, a faith that is active. Lord, help us to remember that the power is not in ourselves, but it's in your Son who died for us. Amen. Let's continue now into another time of praise. No one else. 
cross can be my strength I should come to Him For the Lord is good and faithful He will keep us day and night We can always run to Jesus Jesus strong and kind said that if I fear I should come to him no one else can be my shield I should come to him for the Lord is good and faithful he will keep us Hear this encouragement as you go. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. See you next time. Have a great week.